G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. Well, the bombing came, we would, uh, at every air raid siren, we would run to the local tunnels. And on one occasion, I remember we were running uh, over the railway tracks and a uh, fighter plane came and started strafing us. Oh, wow. But I lost my shoe. So I quickly uh, wrenched my hand out of my father's grip and I ran back to get my shoe. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Today we have part one of a two-part conversation learning about the fascinating life of Dr. Charles Palagy. In the mid-1970s, he was a biological scientist in good standing when he became a Christian and began to have serious doubts about the theory of evolution. The more he studied, the more he became an outspoken creationist. We're going to get to all of that and the discrimination he faced, but first we're going to focus today on his childhood, growing up in war-torn Hungary and Germany during World War II. Dr. Palagi is chatting with Eric Scadabo in our Melbourne studios. Dr. Charles Palagi, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you with us. And before we even get started, I should say that you and I know each other because you have started to attend mm-hmm. the men's Bible study yep. that I've been going to. So I just knew you as Charles, another guy at the study. That's right. And then as time went by and dribs and drabs, you've shared different uh, experiences that you've had. And I said, this guy's kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and now you have your own website. And I didn't know about all this uh, controversy that you had swirling around you in the 80s when you started to go on TV and write letters to the Age newspaper about creationism. Mm, well, I was uh, very zealous for the Lord. And perhaps, oh, you're not anymore? What are you trying to oh, say? Oh, I'm still uh, <laughs> zealous, but uh, a little bit more wisdom Oh, okay, over a little the more years. wisdom. But yeah, those were some controversial times back in the 80s. They, they were, and uh, I'm so glad that uh, I did write that letter because it uh, brought nationwide attention, mm-hmm. it brought uh, the evolution-creation controversy to the forefront. Mm-hmm. So that was a very helpful thing. Of course, there was a lot of flack from people who didn't want a creationist scientist on any scientific staff anywhere in Australia, but there were a lot of supporters as well. And you even wrote a book about it. Yeah, we wrote uh, with a uh, missionary who's now in uh, Indonesia, Jeff Hammond. We wrote a book, The Bible and Science, which was uh, produced really for the layman public, uh, in a popular style with a few cartoons just to make it interesting. Oh, oh, good. So then even I could understand it. Yeah. <laughs> Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. We'll have to have a look at that. So once again, the name of that book? The Bible and Science. That you wrote back in the 80s. Yeah. It's been translated into Indonesian where it's a popular book. And a lady just asked me for permission to translate it into Cambodian. Oh, wow. So that's going to be good too. Wow, that's wonderful. So it's written at that sort of level Mm -hmm. for ordinary people. Being an ordinary person, I very much appreciate Mm. that. Well, let's go back to your childhood, which was anything but ordinary. You were born in 1939 in Hungary. Yes, yes. To a uh, German mother, Hungarian father. 
because he had studied in Germany, got all his degrees in Germany, and so he brought a German wife back home. And one very strange experience that you had was you were almost killed by a nurse. Well, that's right. Um, what was the context of that situation? Well, I would have been a toddler, and naturally uh, I was admitted for scarlet fever into hospital at about the age of two or three. I can't remember, of course, but my mother told me all of this. And uh, I and my mother spoke to each other in German. She was would often mm-hmm. come in to visit me, and we would... I would call her Mutti, you know, German address. And uh, I became known as the little Hitler in the hospital because I had very, very blonde hair and I was a typical Aryan-looking kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a Polish nurse there who took great affront because, you know, the Germans had attacked a number of Polish villages. Some were wiped out altogether and she was very, very distraught. And uh, at that moment, she took it into her hands to try and give me a poisonous cocktail by injection oh wow and as she was about to do it a hungarian doctor came in to the ward and said well what are you doing and so the the doctor saved my life oh wow and and your mother told you all about this. yeah my mother told me because of course the doctor shared it with my mother wow yeah so that was at the beginning of world war ii well that would have been probably 1942 Okay, yeah. Because so, I was born in 39. Yeah. So yeah. World War II was well underway at that point. Oh, yes. And you have a number of interesting, to say the least, experiences from your childhood during World War II. So yes. please share. It's interesting, uh, Eric, how my memory works. I can remember all the highlights, and then I can't remember the in-between things. Well, all we want is the highlights, so it works out fine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, one of the first things I I distinctly remember is we were hiding in in our cellar in the middle of the night in uh, our Hungarian house, and uh, we knew that aeroplanes were coming, and and in the middle of the night we could see all these parachutes dropping, and uh, several paratroopers landed in our yard oh wow and my mum said get away from the window or they'll see us you know so now were they friendly these were russians they these were russians and they were very busy just packing up their parachutes immediately hide them and get out of there because they were on some kind of secret mission Uh, next morning we went out just to have a look around to see whether they left anything behind of interest but I found that all my uh, all our rabbits were gone, so obviously they took them away for oh. rabbit stew. Oh wow! <laughs> they were pet rabbits. Oh okay, yeah. yeah. And then eventually, your family moved from Hungary to Germany. Well, uh, yes, uh, the Russian front was advancing. This would be about 1943 onwards now, mm-hmm. um, and the horror stories came to the Hungarian villages that uh, the Russians were carrying out atrocities of all sorts, including mm. uh, blinding the local villagers. Oh, wow. And uh, I guess they were taking revenge on what the Germans had done to them. And, of course, Hungary was an ally, so they treated Hungarians just like they would have treated Germans. And so uh, my father thought it was time to uh, get out of Hungary. It was getting to be a danger zone. And what did your father do? Well, he was the director of a magnesium factory producing magnesium, I guess, for the manufacture of German aeroplanes. So he was a, a, an academic as he well? He was a chemical engineer. and uh, So that just runs in your family, biology and 
chemistry yeah, and all we, that kind of stuff. Yeah, we all love science. My daughter's a microbiologist. My son is a physicist. And so, yeah, we love science. Okay, just runs in the family. Yeah. But getting back to your experience. All right. Um, well, my dad found no problems because he had studied under the best professors in Germany to get a job back in Bitterfeld in Germany. And so he decided to leave us with my grandfather in Germany once he transferred, and he would go off during the week to work in Bittersfeld. So we lived in Friedrichrode with my grandfather, was a German Lutheran pastor. So did he have a bit of a spiritual influence on you? Well, uh, yes, in a way, uh, because he was very disappointed that with all the uh, worries about the war, my mother had never really brought me up as a Christian boy. Uh, my mum was really good with German traditions like Christmas trees and candles and Christmas carols and Easter, but she never really talked to us about Jesus, except mm. she taught me a prayer, which I kept uh, saying for the remainder of my life, really, a little German prayer. Um, What's the gist of the prayer? It was just a very simple children's prayer for Jesus to protect me, mm -hmm. you know. Now, at that time in Germany... Mm. One of your neighbors would come home crying. Why well, that? that's right. This is before the heavy bombing started. Um, my sister tells me, was four years older, that uh, a neighbor would come home. Uh, he'd be crying and his wife would be distraught because he never told her um, what he was crying about. But every day he came home in great anguish. And so my mother would go over and comfort his wife mm -hmm. next door. And then my sister said, yeah, well, uh, we... we th felt that he was a uh, worker at the local concentration camp at Ordruf, which uh, General Eisenhower liberated later mm. after the war. So he must have seen some pretty horrible yeah. things. It was only a 10-minute drive from us. And you found this out later. And I found that out later when my sister told me these stories. Okay, and then... The bombing came? Well, the bombing came. We would, uh, at every air raid siren, we would run to the local tunnels because in Friedrich Rorda, it was a very hilly place and the Americans felt there would be a lot of military trains hiding in railway tunnels. So they would bomb us regularly and on one occasion, I remember, we were running uh, over the railway tracks towards the uh, tunnel and a uh, fighter plane came and started strafing us. Oh, wow. You know, yeah, shooting you uh, bullets around us, and uh, but I lost my shoe, so I quickly uh, wrenched my hand out of my father's grip, and I ran back to get my shoe with the aeroplane still in the distance, but firing. And so he got a horror, and uh, I ran back, and uh, then we made it to the tunnel. And uh, fortunately, uh, when we got inside the tunnel, it seemed quite safe. He said, no, no, let's go further into the tunnel and around the bend. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we had done that, there was this horrendous detonation coming from the front and the smell of um, wet concrete and gunpowder and everything. So they'd bombed the tunnel, and I'm just so sorry for all the people that had been sitting or lying down near the tunnel entrance. And wow. so we had to escape through another tunnel later on, tunnel exit. Now, why were there these tunnels? Well, they were just ordinary railway tunnels, but oh, they okay. were our air raid shelters. Oh, okay. Because they were close by. It was a hilly town. And then when you came out of the tunnels? 
Well, on this one occasion, I clearly remember we walked back to where we were, to my grandfather's manse, which was a two-storey building, and I noticed that all the um, roads were had heavy craters, you know, mm, of yeah. uh, bombshells. And when we got to our place, I noticed that ours was the only house standing in the, in the neighbourhood. Everything else had oh, wow. been bombed to rubble. And then uh, my, I heard my mum and dad discussing that the, our neighbour, who was a baker, had been uh, hiding with his 11 children in their cellar, mm-hmm. that they were all killed through a direct hit on the, oh, on the wow. cellar. So fortunately, um, I never saw any dead bodies because by the time we, we came out of air raid shelters, uh, any body had been already taken care of. Mm-hmm. So I never saw bodies. Yeah. That was really the grace of the Lord. You're listening to The Story. Today, Dr. Charles Palagy is sharing about his childhood growing up in war-torn Hungary and Germany during World War II. Next, we'll hear more of his childhood memories during the war and about the time he and his friend came across a Bible. We'll find out the impact that had on his life when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Eric Scadabo chatting with Dr. Charles Palagy about his childhood growing up in Hungary and Germany during World War II. We've been hearing about how there were bombs dropping all over his neighbourhood and they had to run to tunnels for safety. Now, toward the end of the conflict, you were trying to surrender. Yeah, well, the bombing got so bad that my dad said, uh, look, we've got to go into the hills and hide there because uh, we can't live here anymore. So we took some bedding and food and uh, some essentials and uh, we climbed several hills and uh, we found an old trench on top of one hill. And so we hid there. But of course, the American uh, front was beginning to approach our town and there was shelling always over our heads. So you could hear the whizzing of shells above wow. us. Wow. And uh, that got very, very intense. And at one moment, we went out to uh, have a look what was going on because we could see the cliffs opposite. And there we saw American troops climbing up cliff faces mm-hmm. using the sort of rope ladders that they would use to board ships. Mm-hmm. And so my dad said, no, let's get out of here. So um, he tore up the white bed sheets mm. and made four flags, one for me, my sister, and, and we each carried a flag. And he said, let's run down the other direction to this other town that he knows of. And we started running down the hill without really being careful where we were running. And all of a sudden, we discovered we were in the middle of a crossfire between Germans and Americans. Oh, wow. Running down <laughs> the hill, uh, all four of us in single line, like geese. And uh, I noticed, I could see the helmets, you know, of the sides. soldiers firing mm-hmm. at each other. And wherever we ran, they stopped firing and then resumed behind us. So that was really wonderful. And we got but down into the town, which was, again, total rubble. And there was nobody around. 
and, and then finally we came across an old lady and she said, what are you doing here? Because the Americans said, if you don't go to the town hall, anybody found on streets walking around would be shot because everybody had to register with the American army. And mm-hmm. so uh, we started going in the direction of the town hall and all of a sudden an American jeep came around the corner straight for us with four soldiers in it. And my mum thought, oh, no, we're in big trouble here. Because she's German? Because she's German, and we were German citizens, as Mm. far as the Americans thought. Yeah. And all of a sudden, my mother decided to uh, forego her German heritage and pretend she's Hungarian. And so when the jeep approached us, uh, before the soldiers got out, she tried uh, to say, because she knew a little bit of French, that um, we are from Hungary. And the soldiers thought we were hungry. <laughs> so they got out and laughed and handed out chocolates and chewing gums and other things. And and then they showed us the way to the town hall. So I got a liking for Americans ever since. Wow. It's some amazing stories from your childhood. And then after the war, there yeah. were some different countries represented well, yeah, um, as you know, that um, because we lived close to the border of Czechoslovakia there in the East Germany, uh, General Patton had to withdraw his troops from uh, German occupation in that area and hand it slowly over to the Russians under some agreement that they had reached. But first the British and the French troops came in. And then the Russians were going to come in with their tanks and occupy town, and we were all warned to put out red flags and f- dangling in front of every house. Any house not showing a red flag would be reduced to rubble by a tank fire. And we lived in a house that mm-hmm. had one wall blown out, so we knew what oh, wow. that meant. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and so uh, everybody was scrambling to try and find a red cloth. And so my mum emptied all these feathers from a big red pillow that we had and hung that out as our red flag. Oh, okay. So you ended up being occupied by several different countries. That's right. So first of all, we were in the American zone. Then the Russians moved in. We were placed in a Russian refugee camp. My father and mother don't really want to talk about it. Mm. Then they decided to repatriate all the Russians and Poles back to their countries. And we were put on a train to be repatriated to Hungary. Uh, It turns out a lot of people uh, were actually shot during that process because the train would stop in a forest, everybody would be shot, and then uh, the train would go back for more. Oh, wow. Who in Hungary would have wanted more refugees coming in uh, in post-war Hungary where everybody was starving? Anyway, our fortune was that because all the train tracks to Hungary were bombed out pretty heavily, the train had to detour through the American zone where the American soldiers stopped the train and forced everybody off at the protest of the Russian guards. And that's how we ended up in the American zone. Oh, okay. Now, I was a pretty... uh, uh, disobedient boy because I once I was sent to school after the war I never really enjoyed it very much so I and my German friend we used to uh, skip school and hide in a big trench hoping that nobody would see us and the reading material we always took with us was an abridged German Bible that had been handed to every school kid after the war and so that's when I and my friend were often moved to tears you know reading about the wonderful things that Jesus did, you know, especially oh, wow. healings. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I thought, well, how wonderful it is. 
years later now because I've still got that book. Do uh, you really? Yeah, going back to the story of uh, of the woman of Samaria mm. where Jesus talked yep. to her at the well, yeah. uh, I wanted to copy some of the uh, original woodcut pictures out for my website. And, uh, and I noticed that uh, one verse in the Bible there was heavily scratched out with a, with a pen. And then I looked at that verse and it was, For salvation is of the Jews. And I saw, yeah, we got a second-hand Bible. And some German who owned that Bible before didn't want to know that scripture. Oh, wow. <laughs> so anti-Semitism. So that was interesting. I only discovered that six months ago. Is that right? I've had the book all oh, the while, wow. and I never saw that before. Now, obviously, we've been talking about your childhood, and we haven't gotten to where you put your faith in Jesus Christ in your adulthood. But you believe that the Lord was working in your life all the way back to your childhood in retrospect. Is that right? Uh, that's absolutely right, Eric, because when I think back, I can see how the Lord saved our lives so many times. Mm-hmm. So many close calls. So many close calls. I've described those in an autobiography on the website. So quite an eventful childhood. Eventually, at nine years old, you moved to Australia. Well, yes, a lot of things happened, of course, before that. But uh, eventually, my dad said, we've got to move uh, for better quality of life because there was we had lost everything during the war mm. and um, we came across by boat through Italy on the Fair Sea and uh, on, on the boat I would have been about 10 years old I won the uh, under 15 chess championship really for which I got one American dollar that was my <laughs> prize <laughs> and before I could spend it on the ship my dad said oh no no you've got to spend that dollar to buy a bag of lemons for your mother and sister who are so seasick in their cabin you've got to help them out so I didn't see much for my dollar oh that was your dollar <laughs> yeah spent on lemons on lemons okay well at this point you've arrived in Australia mm. at this point of the story, but we've uh, pretty much run out of time for this first edition of our conversation mm-hmm. with Dr. Charles Palagi. So we'll have to have you come on again to share the rest of your story. Thank you, Eric. And your website is? Uh, that's uh, creation6000.com. If you want to find it, it's creation6000.com. And you can learn more about your adventures in childhood, but then also about creation science and your outspoken defense of creationism as found in the Bible. That was part one of Eric Scatterbo's chat with Dr. Charles Palagy about his life story. And as we heard, at this point, he's just arrived in Australia. Next time, we'll learn how Dr. Palagy eventually goes on to become a biological scientist in good standing. Then, when he becomes a Christian, he began to have serious doubts about the theory of evolution – and becomes an outspoken creationist. But this was frowned upon at his secular university, and he proceeded to have 28 years of various degrees of discrimination. So we'll learn about that all next time. Meanwhile, if you want to learn more about his childhood and his views on creationism, he's just mentioned his website is creation6000.com. That's creation six zero zero zero. Well, thanks for joining us for part one of Dr. Charles Palagy's fascinating story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, inviting you to join us again next time for part two. And as always, I encourage you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. 
I said, it's so wonderful that you've been uh, appointed this professorship. And he said, well, yeah, now that I've been made professor, I suppose I may as well suicide because there's nothing else left in life. I came out of his office and uh, as I was walking along the corridor to my room, I thought to myself, hasn't he got a hope in God? And then I heard a voice talking to me and saying, and what about you? Dr. Charles Palagy joins us once again to share his life story. He was a biological scientist in good standing when he became a Christian and an outspoken creationist. But this was not appreciated at his secular university. We'll find out how he faced 28 years of various forms of discrimination next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.